0: What is up, Doc? Thanks for listening. I'm George Chen. I'm your host for today. We're a show where we talk to our interesting guests from the worlds of TV and film and all other forms of entertainment about documentaries. Usually it's a documentary that they like. In this case, we actually have a director. And my guest today, all the way from Boston, is Ian McFarland, the producer, video director, uh, director of this documentary, The Godfathers of Hardcore About Agnostic Front. Welcome to the show, Ian. Hey, what's going on, George? Hey, not much. And uh I was kind of digging back through. I'm gonna assume if you have not seen Godfathers of Hardcore, uh watch it before this. We will spoil a few things. It is available uh as of as of this week, I think you were telling me that it's available on a bunch of different platforms right now, right?
1: Yeah, it's available um, on Showtime. It's It's streaming, and they've been broadcasting it. It's available on iTunes, Vudu, Amazon, Google Play, and Vimeo. So it's readily available um, on all digital platforms, and then it's also doing a lot of uh, film festivals still um, all over the place. Brazil, uh, Denmark, uh, Japan, actually, and Mount Fuji Film Festival. Yeah. And then uh, there's one more, if I remember correctly. Where, oh, uh, Australia, the Melbourne uh, Documentary oh, Film yeah. Festival. Yeah.
0: Melbourne. We have a couple Australian yeah. listeners, so check it yeah. out if you're in Melbourne. Um, we uh, I just finished watching the film, even though I've been – uh, talking to you about doing this interview for a long time because I uh, I am a in general a punk fan I am not so much of like a New York hardcore fan specifically so when I heard about this I was like I I'm aware of the, these guys but I wouldn't say I was like a big fan and I don't think you have to be to get invested in the story of Roger Moret and Vinny Stigma uh, the only long the longest term members of Agnostic Front it seems like they they cranked through a lot of members in that like early '80s period, huh?
1: Yeah, they call it like the revolving door, man. There's been so many members throughout that band over the years um, that it's it's hard to keep up with. But um, you know they they they've Roger and Vinny have uh, been there, you know, from the beginning. Vinny started the band, and uh, Roger actually wasn't the first singer. Um, there was actually a couple of guys before him, but when Roger joined the band, it actually then really started becoming like a real band, um, they, they were focused in what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah. And then they've managed to, uh, stick that out, uh, from 19, you know, 83, um, until, uh, till now. And they're still going today, man. And they're in their fifties and sixties.
0: Yeah, that is pretty nuts. Um, I, and I imagine I saw that I was kind of digging through some old YouTube clips and I saw that you directed a music video for them.
1: I've done, let me see, I think I've done four or five of them actually. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of stuff over the years. I did uh, four or five music videos for them. Um, I did the th- uh, 2003 or four release version of L- the Agnostic Front live at CBGB's. We did it right before CB's closed. Oh yeah, Tilly g- yeah Tilly gave us uh, the owner gave us full permission to do it, um, and he gave us permission to put CB's in the name and all this stuff. Um, so yeah, I've done I've done a fair amount of stuff for the guys over the years, but um, this film was just a completely different thing. <laughs> In every aspect.
0: (laughs) Yeah. When did you first approach them with this uh, idea that you wanted to do this? Well, I've been
1: talking to them about it for maybe, I don't know. I want to say since, I want to say since like 2003, 2004, um, I really, I think, actually, I think about it, I think it started in 2002, 2003. Um, and, you know, back then I was a much different filmmaker. I was just, you know, getting my bearings in, in you know, my, my craft, we'll call it, um, and just really figuring things out. I'm so glad it didn't work out uh, to do it then, <laughs> right. um, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, the idea of doing a film about, you know, a, a hardcore punk rock band um, that, that has, you know, this sort of following, this sort of, you know, history and, 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 you know, Roger and Zvenny's friendship, all the different layers that make, you know, this band, the band that it is, um, was daunting and overwhelming, uh, especially to a young filmmaker. Um, you know, but, oh, oh, it didn't work out then. We, I couldn't get anyone to give me any money to help me. Um, and then, uh, over time, Um, as my career kind of started moving on and and me doing more work and me following my, you know, figuring out my sensibilities and, and figuring out my, you know, what I can contribute to filmmaking. Um, I started to really, you know, think about making this thing and deciding that, uh, I, I felt more comfortable doing it, but for me to do it, I had to, uh, I had to, you know, get them on board and, um, early on, it was early, you know, easy to get them on board, but, um, once I told them what I wanted to do, they were, they were kind of like, Whoa, what do you mean? <laughs> this, is yeah. a little bit more, this is not about agnostic front. This is about me and me and Roger. And, and they were kind of, t- they, they had to take a step back and go, wow, that's uh that's an interesting angle. Why, we're, why we're not that important. The band is important. And I'm like, Oh, you guys have a really interesting story. I think it's more interesting than the band itself. Mm-hmm. And,
0: um, right. So they,
1: yeah they, they bit, uh, it took them a while, but they bit and then, uh, I, I, you know, I did it.
0: So. Right. That's what I wanted to circle back to, in the sense that, like, if you only have like a passing familiarity with them, um, I think you, it helps if you like punk music to, to that you'll be more interested in this. But I think the human story is really interesting. And I think when I, when I was watching it, I was thinking about how how well you kind of held back information throughout the sequences because it was like. I'm like, oh, chronologically, I don't know when things happened, but that's, but then the way it's revealed is very effective. I'm like, oh, we're we're still in this scene. I remember from earlier. So they all knew this stuff was happening, but you found clips where it didn't reveal like there was like some, you know, medical issues and things like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I started my career as an editor and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call myself a director for a very long time. I just didn't feel comfortable with it. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, a couple of mentors I had, you know, told me, said, look, if you can feel really comfortable about, you know, being an editor, um, and know story and know how to tell a story, um, you're going to be a way better director. And, um, so I, I took years and concentrated on just storytelling as a craft and and, um, you know, being an editor, which I still do today, um mm-hmm. like I own a post production studio. so um I actually you know not only directed and produced the film, but I also um i I cut the film. Wow. so um, you know, that was that was a that was a whole other monster. Um, so yeah, i i i I didn't want to do a, a normal traditional talking head. About a band documentary, I wanted to do something very different, and um, I didn't want to follow any rules for you know uh, the band documentary quotation marks in there, you know, mm-hmm. um, which people normally think of when they think of a band film. You know, I think they think of VH1 Behind the Music type thing, and um, even though I am a fan of that stuff, um, it's not what I want to do. It's not what I want to be known for doing. Um, I want to do things a little bit differently.
0: Right. Like I was also going to comment on how my sort of uh, thought when I was going into it is like it's going to be wall to wall New York hardcore uh, on the soundtrack. <laughs> but you have a score that's like a very different genre of like incidental music.
1: Yeah, um, that actually I decided that um, r- as early as when I decided I was going to make the film. Um, I, I I saw such an interesting story and a dynamic between Roger and Vinny, um, their friendship um, that I wanted to, you know, allow that to be, I guess, palatable for, well, let me take that, back. let me start that over. Like, I, I think the, I wanted to put, um, music and it was not hardcore punk rock, even though I'm a huge fan of it and I love it and I grew up on it. Um, you know, it's, it's hard for anyone in that, uh, outside of that music to, to feel emotion, um, other than, you know, energy, anger, you know, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, when listening to it. And, um, you, I, I wanted to bring out, you know, all those emotions, um, that I wanted to convey in the film. And, um, I thought that by doing, obviously scoring, it would be, you know, a much easier way, a much better way of, um, you know, massaging that, that thought process.
0: Um, So let's talk a little bit about how you came to your uh, film career. It sounds like you started in editing. Uh, How did you come about? Yeah.
1: Well, even it backs up a little bit more, actually. Actually, um, it it starts with me being a musician. Um, I, like I said, I've been part of the hardcore punk rock community my whole life. Um, I played bass since 1997 in a hardcore band called Blood for Blood uh, from Boston, Massachusetts. And... Um, I grew up on this music, these bands, um, and I would always be filming bands on the road um, mm-hmm. just because I thought it was just, you know, it was, it was, everybody always says, when you do a film, do something, you know, um, and I wasn't making a film back then, but I was, you know, in my early twenties, just filming everything I could and people in, you know, that were my peers and bands started to um, you know, ask me to film them on stage or film this or do that, or, Hey, we're going to do something stupid, you know, backstage film this. And so I'd always do that. Um, and you know, I was in, I think it was in 1998 or 99, I was in tour. We were opening up for agnostic front on the road and I didn't know the guys very well at all, but I was on stage filming another band at this really big festival. And I've told the story a bunch of times, but, um, you know, I felt a presence next to me And I looked over and it was, it was Roger and I really didn't know him then. And I was very nervous around him. And he said, uh, he said, I I got, you know, the band got done. He says, Hey, when are you going to start filming us? And I was like, wow. Um, whenever you want, he goes, how about tomorrow? And I was like, okay. So I just started filming them here and there. And, um, that, you know, I guess kind of kicked it off. Once I got the confidence to do that, um, I started doing music videos for, you know peers and 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 bands that I was friends with, um, because I I didn't have I didn't I didn't have any like uh, worries because they were my friends I could screw up um, I could do it with them we could have a good time, um, so I started out you know doing that stuff um, I didn't go to school I, I went to film school you know for a brief amount of time and then I dropped out it wasn't even like real film school it was like a vocational type you know a, a night thing um, and it just didn't feel right to me. Um, and I started doing, uh, music videos, um, and I started doing more and more music videos. And then, um, you know, I was at the, at the same time as I'm filming all these bands, I'm also learning editing and, um, just reading anything I could on editing, you know, studying editing, anything I could to uh, to to do that. And then I I I wanted to, um, you know, I didn't know anybody in the film community. That was the other thing. I know tons of people in the music industry, but I really didn't know anybody in the film community, mm-hmm. um, especially where I was living at the time. And it was kind of daunting. So you when in I Boston didn't have the a, whole time. No, when I when I actually when I really started, um, my wife and I had just got married. Um, we got married pretty young um but i was uh i was about 20 um and we moved out to um actually i was 20 21 and we moved out to um to santa cruz california and yeah we yeah we we lived in we just decided to pick up from boston give all our stuff away and move to santa cruz you uh, a surfer what was the no why? no i just i just wanted to get away from from just city life that is the most like
0: opposite we, of boston i can think of oh cruz. yeah
1: I, I I learned that pretty quick. Um, (laughs) We didn't have, you know, we didn't have any uh, friends there. We didn't, we had one friend that was a family friend and we stayed with her for like a week. Um, But we went out there with no jobs, um, no place to live. You're like, Um, I know Blast is from Santa Cruz,
0: right? That's all you (laughs) knew.
1: Yeah, we knew, we knew nothing. And um, we ended up, um, you know, and, and I knew a couple people in the San Francisco punk rock scene and hardcore scene. Um, but Santa Cruz was very different. Um, and, um, so when I, when I started editing and learning editing, um, I, I didn't have at that point, I was pretty isolated. So I didn't have a lot of stuff to work with. So, and I could go film stuff. I would just go out and film, you know, surfers or film whatever. I would just cut stuff together, but it wasn't really giving me like good practice. So one of the things I used to do was I used to take music that I loved And I used to rip Bruce Lee movies and I used to cut Bruce Lee movies to hardcore punk rock music Mm -hmm. and all of his fighting. And I would like cut all these things together and like make all these like really fast edits and like change everything. And it's how I learned how to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then from there, um, like I said, I started doing music videos and then moved back to Boston um, teamed up with um, a guy named Mike Pesci and uh, then we started really doing a lot of um, much bigger music videos and that's when my career kind of started you know around mm-hmm. a little before that but yeah it started around that time so
0: just like a, a weird like let's just try out Santa Cruz for a while and see what happens yeah,
1: yeah we lasted about a year um, No, I don't actually I think it was like 10 months man and mm-hmm. we're like yeah we're out of here like this is not for us um, <laughs> it was it was I mean it's beautiful place man um, but it was, it, it just wasn't my thing.
0: It depends. Like, yeah, if you're trying to get into, like, I don't think it's makes sense to try to get in the film industry, even though there was like this moment where there was this group that was like making music videos in Santa Cruz and I think they did some stuff for like Bjork. Um, yeah. Well,
1: you know, I can tell you this though, um, because I moved out there, um, and I did end up having some connections out there, not many, but very few when I went back, uh, to film a music video there on the route, you know, on route one, um, it helped out a lot because, um, and I worked with the, uh, you know, California film office and, um, Santa Cruz film office. And, and it was, a it was a lot easier cause I knew the area. Um, I, I think they kind of, I, once I told them I used to live here, I think it was a little bit different. I wanted to come back and film something there and they thought that was pretty cool. Nice. So, um, it did, it did, it wasn't all bad, man. <laughs> did
0: you see us? <laughs> but,
1: Have you seen us? No, I have not
0: yet. It takes place in Santa Cruz. Does it really? Yeah, yeah. Like it kind of references like the Lost Boys a little bit too. Oh, wow. The only filmic legacy I think people know about Santa Cruz is like now the Lost Boys and us.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Lost Boys. I used to walk on that bridge all the time and like just go, this is, I just think it was so cool to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been back. And when I.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you. With Noom's psychology and biology based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N O O M.com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold.
1: told you i went back to you know film the music video for a band called kill switch engage
0: oh yeah yeah Um, i've heard of them yeah
1: yeah it was uh it was i couldn't believe how much it's changed um Mm -hmm. it was it really kind of depressed me a little bit it's it's there's a lot of really sad stuff going on there but there's a lot of beautiful things too yeah it's sort of become a little bit of
0: a silicon valley bedroom community and then there's on the other side of like everywhere in california there's like a lot of homelessness and stuff yeah
1: Yeah, it's just, it's just, there's a lot of just, you know, there's a lot of sadness. I think that's everywhere in the world, but that's Mm -hmm. a whole nother topic.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, you ended up back in Boston and were kind of able to make this directing. I I saw that you made a doc about the Red Sox. Is that right?
1: (laughs) That was the first, that was the first film I did. Yes. Um, I did a film not about the Red Sox. Mm -hmm. Um, It was actually about a fandom in New England. Um, it was about, I was, I was working with a group called the Dropkick Murphys from Boston who are really close friends of mine. (laughs) Yeah. And I was filming, they did this song, um, where they resurrected this song. It was almost like a fight song in baseball. Um, it was, it was sang back literally at the turn of the century. Um, and, uh, by a group called the Royal Rooters and, um, they, It was attributed to, you know, winning World Series and blah, 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 all this stuff. Well, the Red Sox hadn't won a World Series in 86 years. So the dropkick said, we're going to bring that song back and it's going to win the World Series. Well, guess what? They did. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was filming something for them. And while I was filming that, a little piece... I ended up connecting with a guy who was like an expert on the topic and uh, we decided to turn it into a feature. Um, So we turned, we turned it into a feature documentary and um, it, you know, got nominated for a, uh, a Northeast regional uh, Emmy. It was broadcast like something like 30, 40 times. Um, So that was the first, that was the first feature I did. Yeah.
0: So sort of like the history of the song itself in a way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, more than that, it was about the history. That was the, the thread. That was the thing that, you know, gave us, you know, our grounding, but like the story was really about all these families and this history and this rich history of being in New England. You can't escape it. Whether you're a fan of baseball or not, you cannot escape baseball here. Um, you know, just people that hate baseball still love going to Fenway Park because it really is such an experience to just be there, sit there, smell the smells, see the sights, and it's gorgeous. Um, yeah. It's really surreal to be inside of a um, a beautiful, like, oasis um, in the middle of the city. Um, it has such history. Yeah. Um So, we, yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm a baseball fan, but I'm not a diehard baseball fan by any means. But um, I just like history and I like Boston history. I think it's really interesting.
0: It seems like the, there's sort of this thread of like male bonding <laughs> through all your films with these guys.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know what? It's funny. It's, it's funny you say that. Cause, um, it's, you know, it's something that I thought about the other day. I was like, man, I, I need to do some stuff on some like inspiring women. I have to do that. I have a little girl and it's something I was actually talking to my wife about recently. I was like, Man, it's there's it's it's funny you notice that. So that that actually even pushes me more. I was like, man, I do have to do something. So, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, yeah. well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and also, I guess the kind of extended family and sort of chosen family is at the heart of this film. I think. Um, yes. Yeah. And yeah, just trauma, a lot of childhood trauma, and like that's, uh, you know, I feel like there's a lot of stuff. Like also, even when you look at like you know hip hop documentaries, they talk about. New York in the late 70s early 80s and how dangerous it was and you don't off I haven't seen a lot of representation of like sort of this lower east side squat kind of uh, scene you know which you kind of yeah. recreated right is the only kind of recreated footage that intro that you did
1: yes yeah. yeah that's the that's it there was um well actually I take that back there was a couple um mm-hmm. but the the biggest the scene only scene I recreated was the title sequence and I, I don't I'm not really into doing recreation type, you know, documentary stuff. Um, unless it's something like Errol Morris doing like Wormwood, which is just that's a whole other world, or like the imposter, you know, or Oh man, the or, imposter. You know, like
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Simon Shin, one of the best executive producers in the world. The guy has changed filmmaking, in my opinion, um, with the films that he's he's done. Um, but the imposter yeah, the imposter is one of my favorite Films ever made. To be honest with you, yeah, um, I inspired me a lot with this thing. To be honest with you, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe yeah, yeah, like the,
0: re- uh, the revealing of layers is interesting. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, I mean, that's the thing. I,
1: I, I, just... I, I um, yeah. So I, I recreated in the. I thought it was okay to, to to recreate something in a title sequence, and the reason I recreated it was because I wasn't ever planning on doing that, but I found this old footage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that, that ends up, it opens the scene and I, I just didn't want to play it on a TV. I was like, man, you know, people aren't going to really, you know, f- understand this, you know, mm-hmm. and they're going to think it's somewhat of a joke. And I was like, what would it be like if these kids were sitting around and they saw it come on the TV? Um, because you know, when this thing, when this, it was an NBC, I think it was a, it was channel four, I think, mm-hmm. um, NBC, um, in 19, I think it was 1983. I'm pretty sure it was 83 or 84. May, I think it was 83 um, that, that, that aired, but you know, they're just mocking it. You know, the news reporters are kind of like, you know, you know, this it's, it has no, you know, it's, it's a little bit, uh, in my opinion, it's funny now, but I can imagine back then it would really piss those kids off that were dedicating their lives to, you know, living in squats and, and going against society. They're mm-hmm. like, you know, I think they just kind of, um, it, you know, just took, you know, at that point, we're just like, you know, whatever, this is just one more point where people just don't understand us. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the core of, uh, you know, any kind of fringe music is being misunderstood,
0: you know? Yeah. I was just thinking of, did you see, um, I imagine you saw American hardcore, right?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I've i remember. never that. I was waiting in for that to yeah. come out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't see it. You know what? I did see in a theater. Yes, I did. I saw the, I think it was a Kendall theater in Boston. Um, I was pumped, you know, those, those, it's just a very different type of film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because people will, you know, they haven't seen the film, you know, like, Oh, you know, like American hardcore. I'm like, no, no, no. It's, it's very, you can't really compare my film to that one. They're very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I love American hardcore. I think it's a really great film, but that's, in a way, like a discography kind of like, you know, over time of, of a, a topical kind of thing. Right. My film's about mortality. Um, my film's about mortality and falling mm. in your dreams um, and not so much about hardcore as it is about the two guys, these two guys that have been in hardcore for
0: their entire lives and they know nothing else. Um, I would also throw in sort of like a, a genre, like stru- documentaries like you're saying, like that are just sort of like. Here is a scene. Like I actually like didn't particularly like that DC punk documentary that came out salad days. Which
1: one salad days. I haven't seen that one yet. Not
0: to, not it. to denigrate. I mean like it, it was definitely like interesting all put together, but it did definitely felt more like a book report about uh, you know, a time. Uh, mm-hmm. But the films that I think are that are like about artists that kind of delve into more of the, this sort of like human story. Like I would say like devil and Daniel Johnston, and like mm. crumb would be really good like like where you can go in with knowing very little about the topic you get a little bit of the topic but then you really just get like whoa there's this crazy you know family story to this yeah that's the yeah. type
1: of stuff that i wanted to do that's the stuff that's the type of films that i want to do yeah um, and i would and i would
0: say like yeah if you go into this thinking it's going to be more of the first kind it's more of like just really about, about the human, uh, family story and stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a character study. It's a, it's a portrait, mm-hmm. you know, on these two guys. And the thing that gets us there is, you know, a band and a culture and that's, it's really it. Um, but you know, it's, it's funny, like the, I can tell you the films that inspired me the most to make this film. Um, I would say like 20,000 days on earth. Um, yeah. The Nick Cave just, thing. Yeah. 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 Nick a cave, like it, it's, I mean, it's just phenomenal. A lot of um,
0: recreations in that one, though. That was yep, all mostly recreations. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The whole. I think the whole thing pretty much is. Um, yeah, I think like, so, except for like I, some I, of the
0: live footage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, there's that. Uh, I would say Dark Star. If you haven't seen that, you need to see that. That's. Um, it's, uh, on, uh, it's on. Um, oh, it's on HR Geiger. Oh. I just have not. So good.
0: You know oh. that kind of connects to like my. Sort of gen- general connection to some of this stuff is I actually worked for Alternative Tentacles for a while. Oh wow! And no I, when I I didn't realize that um, you know uh, Nadia's mom was a singer of nausea. I kind of just like yep. went down a little like Wikipedia hole after. I'm like, what? Okay, that's yeah. so what a weird connection.
1: <laughs> and and you want to? Th- I'll throw a little bit more, and they will blow your mind. All those photos in the film, those are all taken by her. Those unbelievable. She was she was going to NYU. She was a film student at the time in 1981, two, three, four. Uh, she was going to NYU and, um, she just, she's hands down one of my favorite photographers, I think in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and she, you know, let us use, basically she gave me her entire, like, Arsenal of photos, all the kid
0: photos and everything. Yeah, oh man,
1: it was incredible. Um, you know, it Roger had never seen 90% of this stuff, she had never printed, you know, three quarters of it. Um, oh, so you had to get,
0: um, there were scans of negatives, or you got prints made too.
1: No, we what we did is we scanned in negatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I scanned them in low res. We used what we wanted. I mean, I didn't scan in everything. There's just no point. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so she was basically, you know, embedded in a scene and, you know, embedded in, you know, she was living it too. She was living in the squats, you know, and she was plus, and she was in a really awesome, you know, real deal, hardcore, you know, punk rock band. Um, and so you had like, you know, Amy Keim, who's you know the singer of nausea and then you have raj Moret, who's the singer of agnostic front and they come together and they're like you know just this power group or something power couple mm-hmm. in in a, in a small little scene and mm-hmm. then um you know they're living in squats and r- like really living in squats and then they had a baby mm-hmm. um and then they continued to live in squats um and nadia grew up in new york city squats um and now today she's pretty remarkable, you know, young woman. She's in her, uh, I think she's 31 now, 30, maybe 30. So, um, but yeah.
0: When they talk about like her sleeping in a drawer and him needing to like figure out a way to make money and stuff. And so I was like, oh man, this for, when I see him like, kind of like, it's already a little bit jarring the difference between how, Vinny lives in New York, and then just seeing him in this super suburban Arizona kind of like <laughs> backdrop its with the pool and the dog and everything. It's just like such an interesting. The, that's why, like, when the there's sort of like this flip that happens like three quarters through the film that I would did yep. not see coming at all. Like, I'm like, this guy seems like the together guy. And then it's like, oh, yeah. whoa, there was like so much going on behind that yeah, they, control issue.
1: There's so many interesting things like with this film that that you know i i knew while i was making it and i hoped people would you know recognize and see it i'm glad you you know pick up on these little flips because you know think of it this way you know you have roger who grew up just a horrific childhood um absolutely horrible and you have Vinny who grew up in a loving family um in new york city in a small little neighborhood and um, then they Roger comes to the United States. He's a you know a, a, a Cuban refugee comes over on freedom flights. Uh, I think that's what he called it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets over here, and you know, and then everything really starts going really to hell when he gets here, um, because you know he comes over with three young kids under the age of I think they were all under the age of like seven I think, and with a with a mother that spoke zero English. And, you know, she, they, it was all about survival for them and just trying to, you know, have a better life. And, you know, it, things didn't work out in a lot of ways for them, um, in the short term, but in the long term, they did. And if you look at Roger now, he's, he's lived life, you know, on the real hard side, but now he's kind of, I think, reaping the benefits of all that, you know, plowing through all that hard work. He has a wonderful family, he has a great relationship with his, 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 you know, former family, his current family, his children. Um, and then you have Vinny who now, you know, he, he's, he's now, you know, grew up in this neighborhood that he loved so much. And now he's watching it completely change and gentrification is just tearing apart, you know, that part of New York, that old part of New York. And Vinny's not happy about it. He's really upset about it. And it, it, when I say it, it hurts him. I mean, it really physically hurts the man Yeah, because he just, he just, he just wants to go back to, you know, it being the way it was, you know, in that little neighborhood. Now he doesn't know any of his neighbors. He lives in the same building that he was born in. Um, He was born downstairs. He lives in the apartment right above it. Um, He, he won't give it up. They try to get him out of there. He just won't give it up. He's like, nope, I'm
0: not leaving. Well, people are actively trying to like buy the building. Oh, they,
1: they, yeah, yeah, they, they they tried to for a while, you know. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can tell you this though. I mean, he's he's now sixty four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, good luck getting a sixty four year old out of an apartment now in New York
0: City. Yeah. Um, so um, he's and he's a he's, they're rent they're still renters of the whole
1: thing. Oh yeah this all I think it's all renters in the that's room. Uh-huh.
0: great yeah like they, they can yes. fight those developers that's amazing yeah
1: Yeah and and Vinny's you know he's very in the first scene you can see in the film I mean mm-hmm. he's he's genuinely upset the way that the city has just changed. He doesn't, he, he, he looked at New York city as such a community and such a, such a, a great place to be. And now he's like, nobody knows anybody he's walk by everybody. You know, there's a part of the scene where he's walking down the street and he's telling me something. Then he goes, nah, now it's time to walk amongst the dead. And yeah. then he just, you know, <laughs> goes, yeah. there's an adult moment with that man on camera, to be honest with you. You know, I could, I could probably make. I could have made this movie five hours. I'll be honest with you. Um, there's so much material, and that's one of the hardest things about making a film. I think is 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 knowing when to say when and when to say okay. This is what's the focus here, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 easy to make a film a long film. It's much harder to make a shorter one um, and still try to get a point across, mm-hmm. um, or you know, whatever you're trying to say. Period. You know, or the or the film is trying to say.
0: You know, so. In that in that uh, vein, what when you made your first cut, how long was it?
1: Um, my first cut was only, I think, three hours. Okay. Uh, it was like three and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was a lot of just, you know, strung out, conscious thoughts, you know. Um, I, I can tell you, though, you know, the way I, I do films is a little bit different than I think some people. Um, I start all my films, everything I do, um, with uh, really high-end audio recordings. Um, no... No cameras, um, no lights, nothing, just just audio recordings. And I use those for two things, um, research um, and, you know, kind of developing of my story. And then I also use that for um, the film later on. And I I tested this out for a while by doing a couple shorts where I would, um, you know, make... These guys, I I would do shorts on, on people where I just did audio recordings and then I would shoot, you know, stuff over the top. But before I even went and shot stuff, I would then edit all the audio together and I would score the audio and then I would go and and decide what I wanted to shoot over the top. And I would basically make a, you know, short form animatics, um, essentially I do it in commercial stuff all the time. Um, but you know, with, with, you do a lot with the, you know, voiceovers when you're doing commercial stuff, you know? Um, and so I did that, tested it out with shorts, but I knew that if I had an entire film that was just audio recordings and no talking heads, um, it honestly would probably be a harder thing to do and keep people captivated. Um, because filmmakers that can do that for an hour and a half are a genius in my opinion. Like that Kirk Cobain documentary is
0: just insane to me. Like it's, it's oh, a montage of hack. Yes. Yeah. Like we interviewed Brett Morgan actually about that. I yeah. know I heard yeah. it.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, it's a, that's just a, a Tremendous, like I think, undertaking what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had
0: my hats off to him, all archival um, stuff. Yeah, you had yeah. a lot of archival video, though. Luckily, there seemed like there yeah, was a lot of documentation. Yeah,
1: yeah, I did. I, I, um, that was one of the things I I, I did this film in, in stages. You know, um, the first thing, I, like I said, the first thing I did it was the audio recordings, and um, and when I did the auto recordings, I I then came back and cut those first and I cut all of the thoughts that I could and all the little moments that I could. And then I figured out, okay, this is what I want. And then what I did is I then took and wrote the story based on that on a wall. I said, I'm mm-hmm. going to, I have these really, I call them speaking portraits or mm-hmm. like inner monologue scenes. And you can tell them in the scene, in the film, because it all of a sudden the film slows down and then you feel like you go inside your subject's head and you're hearing what they're talking about because their tone changes, their cadence. The I even made the audio sound a little bit different on purpose so that it would sound a little deeper, a little mm-hmm. more like you were, they were putting their head on your shoulder and just kind of talking to you mm-hmm. as a friend. I enjoy myself.
0: I enjoy life. I'm having a good time, man. I always have a good time. And I, I, I live like in the wrestling world. Like, don't misunderstand me. I believe in Santa Claus. you not, not, you know what I mean? You gotta believe. You gotta have that. You can't lose that, that kid in you. You know what I mean? Because when you lose that kid in you, I think you get jaded. But I got a lot more music in me. I got a lot more
1: life in me. And the day comes, it'll come. God wants, it'll come. But until that day comes, fuck you, man, I'm going. The Vinny scene, um, that was honestly the first thing I cut in the entire film. Um, that was the first thing that I I cut together. Um, and... That kind of set the tone. I, I, once I figured that that would work, and I, f- I felt it would work, and then I knew, okay, I, I'll do one for Roger now. and then I did one with Roger. Uh, we called it hardcore. And um, that scene uh, was this, you know the a scene that 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 was the same type of thing with Vinnie, with uh, as Vinny as we I went and recorded great audio, and then we had all this footage, and then I just went and you know started cutting stuff over the top of it. Hardcore is definitely something that's been very misunderstood. It was really, it was really a call for justice. You know what I mean? It was really questioning authority, questioning society, questioning religion. Just a call for justice. That's what it's always been to me. You could say it's turned into a lifestyle, but that is a misjudgment too, because Adidas is a lifestyle. You know, I've always said that to me. It's just a good judgment of who you are. If you can stand in front of that mirror and look at yourself and feel honest and genuine with yourself, then. To me, that's being what I like to grasp as hardcore, like genuine and real, passionate, you know?
0: There's a quote I really love, which was, I want to say it's Vinny's rule, three simple rules, no girlfriends, uh, shave your head, dance hard. Do you remember that? (laughs) That's from from the 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 80s, right?
1: That was in the credits and they had, they had this, this rule when they were living in squats, Mm -hmm. um, because they were so adamant on the band, the band, the band, no no distractions, the band, the band. And, um, yeah, it was actually, I think nothing that Roger made up. I think it was, uh, rabies, oh, rabies, um, okay. made, rabies made that, that rule <laughs> up. And, um, and from what Roger said is he never abided by it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just... yeah, he always had girlfriends, he said. So, um, but it was, he thought it was like, you know, so we slipped it in. It's one of those things that was just kind of a, a little, little funny kind of thing. <laughs> but, um, I don't think it really had super meaning if you ask me.
0: Yeah, just like it's just a, a a fun quote I remember pulling out. There's there's a thing that I thought might have made its way in here, which is kind of a funny thing involving the band, which was that they were in Matthew Barney's Cremaster the order. Yeah. The Guggenheim. And I, I'm sure you, there was no way to get the, the, get the footage to be able to use a clip of, of Cree Master for your film without paying Matthew Barney an exorbitant amount of money. Right.
1: He's a huge fan of AF. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was told that, you know, I could, I could speak with him if I wanted to, but there was a lot of instances where I could have gotten a lot of really cool things. Um, that is, you know, been involved with agnostic front, but I really chose to, to not do it. Even like I wanted originally to, I had a whole list of all these people I wanted to interview or or get clips from or things like that. And then once I started kind of just, you know, really thinking about it, I said, no, I don't, it's not part of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the story that I want to tell is this really weird, odd couple relationship of Vinny and Roger. And Oh yeah, by the way, they play in this band agnostic front. Mm -hmm. Like that was like my kind of idea. Um, it wasn't like, you know, seeing talking heads of, you know, rockstar A or rockstar B saying, Oh, agnostic front was amazing. I remember when I saw them at this club and blah, blah, blah. I mean, really it's like, that's, that's a different film. And the other reason I didn't do it is because I wanted to leave the door open for them as a band to be able to do that film. I don't want to do it, but I wanted them to be able to, because what I was doing was so different that I, 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 and I wanted to it be on its own and its own thing. And that's what they call it. You know, Roger and Vinny both are like, no, this is Ian's thing. This is another thing. They don't, they don't even, they they take no ownership on this, you know, Mm -hmm. in their heads. They're like, they're like, this is my story or, or our stories, but it's, it's, you know, it wouldn't have been put together you know um, you know with a with the band story at the same time it's much different and if you you know if you look into it, it it is it's done that way it's it's really kind of like back and forth between Roger and Vinny's dynamic and you slowly as the film goes on start to see how their relationship works Mm -hmm. And by where you said, you know, you know, half, you know, three quarters away through the film, it's actually around 52 minutes. um, The film just kind of flips and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it becomes a much different film because I, that was the thing I wanted to have that part of the film, the last half of the film, uh, the last, you know, uh, 40 minutes of the film, I wanted it to be completely different than anybody saw coming. And that's as it is.
0: Yeah. Well, like it's like those realizations, like when those, some of that concert footage, I think, are they in Berlin or something? And then I'm like, oh, this is, is this a tour that they arranged after he found out everything? That's what I was trying to like piece together. <laughs> yeah, they, head.
1: they, you know, it. that was, that was a hard thing. Like I knew that Roger had a heart attack, um, you know, in, in the early stages of filming. Um, and, but I didn't want to make it the thing that's like, Oh, this is the thing. What's going to happen? Put it right up in the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, Roger has a heart attack. What's going to happen? Then you reveal at the end, Oh, he's fine. You know, that's not real to me. Um, you know, it's, it's all about storytelling and how you craft those stories. And this one, I I had a lot of back and forth with people that worked on the film producers um, and a couple like, you know, consulting producers I work with. Um, they, everybody said, you know, put it up front. You need to have it up front that Raja had a heart attack. And, and I, and I was like, no, I, I don't think that's, that's not the story. Um, right? again, that is not the story. There's so many things I could have put in this. Um, but I chose to just stick to, you know, my original idea was the, the dynamic, the friendship between, to those guys. And oh yeah, they play in this band agnostic front. And that's literally like, literally I kept my mantra in my head. That's, mm-hmm. that's it. That's what I'm doing because this thing, otherwise this thing would have been like, like I said, like four hours long. yeah. And, um, not only that, um, you know, they, it, it, it honestly then felt ingenuine to me. It felt like I was trying to do like a reality show if I put it up front, you Mm -hmm. know? So Mm -hmm. I, I, my whole idea, since we're filmmakers talking here, you know, I can tell you like a little bit more is like, you know, I wanted the audience to really kind of, um, fall in love with these characters and really kind of, or really not like these characters, but want to find out more about them, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but once you're invested into understanding who they are as people, then let's find, or what they did as, as in their importance um, in any, in the music scene, let's find out now really what it's really like for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, let's show the flip side of that, and that's the second half of the film that really kind of uh, gets people. I'll be honest with you; um, I've been told numbers of times um, in theaters all over the world um, this might be the only film that I've seen um, face tattooed, heavily, big, massive dudes crying walking yeah. out of the theater. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and I can't tell you how many how many men and women have come up to me um, at these screenings and pulled me aside. And told me their story and cried. And mm-hmm. they don't say, they don't say, oh man, what a great movie. They say, thank you for making this. Mm-hmm. And that is just the heaviest thing to me. I mean, I, I, would be lying if I said I didn't have tears in my eyes mm-hmm. many times talking to some of these people, um, and a couple of well-known directors as well that have done, that have done that. So, um, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I'll mm-hmm. be honest with you.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, you, you. Uh, came so you were doing some other were they like w- you mentioned Switch Engage and, and I saw that you worked with uh, some other bands are these sort of like longer concert film type things that you're doing?
1: I've done a, yeah a bunch of different things. i um, like I. I like establishing relationships with bands and I don't like this thing where in the music industry where you compete with like 10 directors, they say, oh, well, you like your work, write a treatment and you take like four or five days, you write a treatment, you put your heart and soul into it and then it gets thrown onto a stack. The manager flips through it and then says, hmm, okay, here, here's four of them guys, pick these. And it's the the artist, you know, sometimes doesn't even see all these. Sometimes they do. A lot of times they don't. Um, and I mean, that is the manager's role, I guess. You know, the band trusts them. But I like having, you know, sitting down and saying, okay, let's let's build something. Let's let's really hear about what you want to say, what you're doing, how you feel. How can we fit the the aesthetic and 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 the and the tone of what your band is, and, and or how can we change it to be something new for, for a new album or a new album cycle. So what I, I've, I'm going somewhere with this, but like, um, you know, I did a, we did a music video for a a band called Meshuga, and they're a, um, a very big, um, metal band from Sweden and they're very mysterious. People don't know a lot about them. At least when I was doing, you know, the film, they just have tons of fans all over the world. And, um, we did a, a music video for him that was uh, a horror narrative music video. Um, and it was like a big hit on Headbangers Ball when it was happening years ago. And it was actually one of the first um, narrative uh, metal videos to be on MTV. Mm-hmm. And it did really well. Now it's something like, I don't know, like 40 million views on YouTube or something. But like when we did it, um, the band was like, Hey, you know, would you want to do a concert film on us and do something very different? So I did, I did a concert film with them. I did a concert film with Killswitch Engage. I've done a lot of agnostic front, um, a lot of different bands, but again, I try to just make them a little bit different and have a little bit of different feeling. Um, I love concert films. I love music. Um, and I love film. So combining all those things together, it's a, you know, I don't have a lot to complain about, man. I get to do, I do, to do some cool stuff.
0: Yeah. When you were in uh, Blood for Blood, what was your instrument? I played bass. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. 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 I played bass. Uh, um, I play. I joined the band. Uh, I tried it as a guitarist and they had a um, a female bass at the time named Gina Bevadides. And uh, they, she left the band uh, right as I was about to join a second guitar. And then they told me if I want to be in the band, I have to. I have to play bass. And, uh, Mm -hmm. I said, I've never touched a bass in my life. (laughs) Um, and I was a kid. I was literally, I was a kid. I was like, I was, I think I was 19 years old Mm -hmm. and these are some rough dudes. (laughs) And, um, you know, they basically said, you know, play, you want to play with us, you got to play bass. And I said, I've never played bass in my life. And they said, well, figure it out, get a bass or you're not playing with us. (laughs) So, I had, I had literally like a week and a half and I learned all the songs and I played my first show and I just butchered it, but, um, I what? faked it really good. <laughs> I looked like I was having a good time. Um, but yeah. And, yeah. Just um, play and with the I pick,
0: just, right? <laughs> yeah. And then I, st- and
1: then we stuck to playing bass. And honestly, after I started doing it for, you know, you know, a couple of years, I really said, wow, I really like this more than guitar. Um, this is, this is way, you know, different. And I found out, too, that I could drink more when I played bass and play at the <laughs> stage. So I didn't have to be as technical. So um, that ended up being a bad part of my life for a while. Mm-hmm. We won't get into that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I played bass. And um, I, I I just, I, I, I like it. I actually like it more than playing guitar, to be honest mm-hmm. with you.
0: Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a role that's sort of an underappreciated role, I think, overall. Yes.
1: Yes, it's it's the steel ropes as I call them is mm-hmm. uh, is is like uh, it, it, bass players always get like for some reason like they're like the whipping post or something I don't know man the butt of the jokes but yeah yeah try having a band without a bass player and see how it sounds <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you won't have the impact and and people won't feel it as much at least when, when we play mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so, and, and so you do now, uh, this has been your, a big, uh, touring thing for you, uh, film festival circuit and your other, like your other company you make, uh, you do a lot of commercial work. That's mostly. Yeah. Your other um, I, I
1: actually, I do, um, I do a lot of commercial work. Um, I have a post-production studio, um, and I'm actually actually rebranding right now, um, mm-hmm. and so for the time being, it's just it's just my name and me. Mm-hmm. Um, my business partner has decided to go uh, his direction and, and move out to another place, um, and I am going to stay in Boston and uh, work this, um, pr- you know, post production studio. It's it's um, I love having a post production studio just because it's it's just I mean it's a very expensive part of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, And if you can own that, I can cut my costs by quite a bit when I make my films. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do uh, color correction. I do sound and we do offline editing and we do conforming. Um, And then I bring in visual effects guys, animators, whenever I need them. Um, But yeah, looking in Boston, we do that. Um, and then, um, I'm gearing up to, uh, I'm pitching about three films right now. Hopefully one of them is going to kick off. I'm, I'm staying in the music world. Mm-hmm. Um, but much, 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 much bigger, um, artists that I'm going after. Mm-hmm. Um, um, equally as interesting. Um, and, um, yeah, so the film had a kind of crazy ride and, and, you know, one of the things that, that people don't realize, I guess, you know, when I talk about the film is, You know, I started this film out 100% DIY, right in line with punk rock. Nobody would give me a dime to do this film. No record label, not even the band's record label would give me a dime. Two record labels over like 10 Mm -hmm. years of time wouldn't give me any money. Um, I tried probably, I would say at least 200 people to ask and give me money. And they like just said, oh, I don't think that's really, it's not going to sell, blah, blah, blah. And I just said, okay, I'm going to do it on my own. Like literally screw everybody and um kickstarter too
0: right you did you guys yeah well
1: the kickstarter was the second thing Mm -hmm, I did mm -hmm. I I convinced my business partner um to uh, do it with me and you know I sunk every penny that I had into getting it going and then um once we got going um kickstarter came in that helped out um a fair amount but that wasn't I mean that wasn't even like the the full amount of money by any means yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) yeah yeah and then once we did that and i'm still cutting major costs by being the director and the editor which is huge cost you know um and then i went and we did the kickstarter we then you know we kept going and then once i finished the film we really needed finishing costs for all the you know archival and, um, you know, all the other little things, the, enO insurance, all those things that, that filmmakers really don't think about. I knew, but I was kind of just putting it in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kept on like, there's a, there's a really great director named uh, Tyler Meesum, He's a really good friend of mine. Uh, he did, uh, Sons of Perdition and, um, An Honest Liar. And he just did this new MTV film called I Want My MTV that premiered at Tribeca, not to drop names, but I'm saying, give me context here. He said, I, I was called him one day and I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's like, I'm, I'm just, I'm freaking out about how much money he said, dude, just make the movie, just get it done. And then you'll find the money, just get it done and then show it to people and just, just do it. Just do the best film you can and then figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I sat back and I just had this, like all of a sudden this weight off my shoulders. And I was like, he's right. It, it may not work out, but at least I'll try. And, Mm -hmm. um, I actually ended up, um, finding an investor through, uh, actually the singer of the Dropkick Murphys. Um, the singer of the Dropkick Murphys kind of saved the movie, Al Bar, And, um, he brought in a very, very, very generous, wonderful man, uh, named Scott Keys. And, um, Scott, uh, came in and just took this thing over the finish line. And, um, then we started rolling. We did about, uh, 17 film festivals, um, all over the place. And then, um, I got a really great producer in that time frame. um, uh, executive producer named Evan Krauss. He actually just did Apollo Eleven. He was a producer of that. And then um, Jeff Castles, um, who's the uh, manager of the Dropkick Murphys, um, came and in, 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 involved. And um, Skip Williamson, who I, I spoke about earlier, um, he's done a lot of uh, big movies. Like um, he did. um uh, uh, see. He did the Underworld uh, series. He did all those movies. Um, he's done, he also owns Revolver magazine. Um, so he came involved with that. And then, um, once that all happened, then Showtime came along and, uh, I decided through this whole process that, um, I was going to try to get this thing broadcast and I was going to own the film. I was going to license it out and then I was going to self-distribute it. And, um, because I did not want to just it's set on a shelf with a distributor that didn't understand the film so um because they didn't understand how to market to the um you know to to the, the fans of this film um and and then it, it, because it is it is a niche audience um but it definitely appeals to a much broader audience if presented mm-hmm. hence showtime brought on you know uh, came on board Um, and then that happened and, um, Showtime has it until the end of 2020. And then, um, like I said, we're about to, uh, announce something pretty big on, on Tuesday, um, in the UK. So it's a, yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. It's going to happen. I'm excited. It's the, it's, it's being broadcast. It's being streamed. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, not too bad for a little punk rock DIY film you know, but I did release it, self-release it through my film company. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I went through, uh, um, distributor and, um, put it on all the uh, platforms all over the world. It's nice. not cheap, but, um, but I now have the power. I own it. Um, I get to make the decisions and, you know, I get to the and go everywhere I want with it. So, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy with it, you know? I can't wait till it gets paid off, but, um, you know, yeah. I think that's every filmmaker's dream, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I yeah. was going to say for people that are listening who are interested in starting, uh, you know, p- these passion projects, um, is there like a lesson in what not to do that you would say you took away from this whole process of working on this film?
1: That's a whole nother podcast, man.
0: <laughs> that's like A whole a that's lot of a, not um, to do stuff. So. Yeah. I
1: can tell you this. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned, um, in in not just this film but my career, but but honestly, what really came to a head for me in this film was, um, you know, when you make a film, I think most filmmakers just go and figure out the lenses, and then they figure out you know the camera they're going to shoot with and how it's going to look and all these things, and they don't really bother to think about you know, what they're going to about to go through. And, you know, especially if you're doing a film about something you care about. Um, and it's a, it's people don't understand how much filmmakers put into, you know, their art. And, um, it's an extension of you in a lot of ways. Um, this film, you know, I went through a lot of stuff because it was DIY and I did it on my own. Um, luckily I had a great support system, but that's what I'm getting at is I would say the biggest advice I could give to anybody is say, if you're going to take on a big project like this, a try to look at it, not just on the inside, but then go up to 20, 30,000 feet and look at it and and look at the whole picture. Where do you want this to end up being? And what do you want to get out of it? Mm -hmm. And two, try to get some people on board and talk to them and say, Hey, I'm about to make this film, you know? I might have some rough times. You know, can I count on you to lean on you and just talk to you once in a while? I think that's a big thing because, you know, it took me a long time to figure that out. But, you know, talking to someone and just either venting or just getting a different perspective can really be helpful in in art, I -hmm. think. And, um, I mean, artists are tormented in many ways. Not everybody is, but um, I now am starting to, think of myself in some ways as an artist. It's a weird thing for Mm -hmm. me, but, um, you know, I got my demons, man, you know, and, and, uh, they tend to come out at the, at the worst times, you know, when you're really, really putting your heart and soul into something and it feels like everybody's on top of you or the whole world's on Mm -hmm. top of you. It makes a world of difference to have that one person that just, you know, puts a hand on your shoulder and said, dude, just calm down. You're going to get through it. Mm -hmm. This is what I think you might want to do. And I think that goes a long ways.
0: I think that goes, that sounds like that would apply just outside of uh, filmmaking to like any right creative endeavor to have that like yeah, support. Yeah,
1: I agree. But I apply it to filmmaking because mm-hmm. filmmaking is not a job for me. It's a lifestyle mm-hmm. and it's, it's all I do. I don't think about anything else. I have children and a wife that that they they are my life and filmmaking those literally that is it that is all i i care about and and all i want to do for my entire life they're first and filmmaking second right but um the fact that i can make a living at telling stories um you know my own and other people's is you know some people would call it being blessed others people call it you know just being very fortunate um i am i'm i you know on the hardest days, I just try to remember that, that Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's people in way worse situations than I am and, um, perspective, perspective and, and also I think perspective and also really, uh, you know, being able to look at your mistakes and, and own them and say, yes, I did that. I need to fix that. Or I, I talked to that person the wrong way while I was, you know, making this, I I shouldn't have snapped at you, you know, while you're, you know, setting up those lights, you know, can we, can we just take a second, you know, man, like it's, it's hard making films Mm -hmm. and, um, you really got to think about it when you do them. Um, and also how you're going to affect everybody on your team and around you through the whole process, because it's, it's not, it is a job for some people, but other people it's, it's not. And, um,
0: yeah, it's a little bit of both for me. I think it ties that does tie in a little bit to how the film ends or how I, f- I feel like it does um, in the sense of the sort of extended family stuff and, uh, you know, just making up. I'd say like the kind of the the relationship between uh, Roger and his first daughter, uh, I sort of feel like there's something there about like trying to make it making up for for things that were you know, re- regrets or something, or like how he wants to live life with his family this time around. And he wants to do things slightly differently and have oh, like absolutely. a work life balance.
1: Absolutely. You definitely watched the film. You mm-hmm. watched it from a, a filmmaker perspective, <laughs> perspective, for <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, yes, there's definitely some, some stuff there. And, um, but the, 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 you know, the cool thing is you would think that, you know, you know, Nadia would just be, you know, she'd hate her dad or, you know, he was never around for me as a child, but, you know, she's, she went through her own thing, I think. And now she's old enough to recognize that, you know, it's not like Roger was a being, trying to be a bad father. He was just trying to do the only thing that he knew yeah. was what he could do.
0: And, that, yeah. you know, that was I think that, that stuff know. definitely was like, sort of like, I feel like an interesting emotional part. And also like seeing, you very briefly see Vinny's relationship with his son. And I kind of want to see a little more of that but I'm kind of like yeah. interesting to juxtapose those a little bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It just, it was just different. And, mm-hmm. and like, we had to make a big decision because there is more to, you know, this Vinny story, but like mm-hmm. in his, with his son, but to be honest with you, it's, it was, it was just the, just a story kind of just played out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, like we could go back and I could cut this. I have two other versions of this thing um, that I chose. This version is the one that I think is the one that would, uh, um, you know appeal to to and be the best representation yeah. of this story as as a whole um, yeah. rather than but you know you, you can't please everybody or hit every topic as much as you want um, right but that that is something that i i definitely wanted to go into more but in 96 minutes it's difficult to to do that without looking like it's crowbarred in you know
0: yeah well I think like the quote that uh sort of there's a quote in there that I liked where Vinny says, talks about how like Roger was like his little brother and now he's like his big brother or like, you know, their roles have reversed. And I think that's like a lot of the core of the dynamic that's in the film. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. Everyone who, if you, if you, you got to see the film, I hope you've seen the film by now. Otherwise I've revealed a lot of stuff, but, um, if you haven't, please check out Godfathers of hardcore available for our UK listeners, look it up. <laughs> You'll find it. Um, yep. Everyone else, Showtime, Amazon, uh, Vudu. Uh, you say YouTube? Uh, uh,
1: yeah, it's on. It's, uh, I'll just list them real quick. It's on, uh, if you can watch it on Showtime, if you got a subscription, you want to stream it. Um, but if you want to help out the filmmakers even more, uh, you want to go to iTunes, Vimeo, On Demand, Vudu, Amazon, Google Play. Mm-hmm. um it's on all those and then on tuesday we get announced for the uk listeners which is ireland scotland wales and england
0: mm-hmm. and you're also in australia you said on or um, we're, we're actually we
1: actually held uh that's a whole nother thing we actually uh had to do a holdback back on australia for two reasons and new zealand because we're in the new zealand we're in the um Melbourne uh, Documentary Film Festival, Festival. and okay. we yep we need to have a premiere there so it will be released in Australia right afterwards but the other reason is that those two countries you have to have the film rated um, and it takes quite a while to have that done. It's not like a quick thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, we're just kind of holding off till the end of Australia's, you know, the film festival of Australia, which is later this summer okay. and then we'll release there. The other thing that's coming out is it will be on Blu-ray in a matter of a couple months. Oh, nice. okay. Um, and it will most likely be a director's cut, which will be different than everything.
0: Cool. That was going I was going to ask if you were going to do a, how how the DVD market is, but maybe the Blu-ray market is slightly different than the DVD. Yeah, I mean,
1: out. honestly, we have the band has such a large following all over the world that um we could do both, but mm-hmm. just for myself, um I really just don't want an SD. Um, yeah. you know, it, it's it is expensive to do Blu-ray um because there's just a lot to it. Um and, and and uh you know sd is is a little bit cheaper but at the same time it's like yeah blu ray is is going to be something that will probably be i'm guessing by mid summer end of summer will be released
0: cool right on and then in the meantime uh, they can go to your website or is there a website yep, for it's, the film yeah okay, there's yeah.
1: Uh, the, yep that's just uh, thegodfathersofhardcore.com and um you can get everything you want there everything is is uh you're able to go through and grab merch we have posters we have a lot of cool stuff so um you can watch like i said you can watch it on all those platforms and um yeah if you watch it on uh uh, itunes If I had to choose any for anybody to buy it on, buy it on iTunes. um, As
0: as they're reconfiguring iTunes to be split into a bunch of different things. Uh, But yeah, go to iTunes, uh, watch it there, watch it where you can find it. Uh, Ian, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for talking to SubDoc. George, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the time, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about SubDoc at subdocpodcast.com. Recapping reality since 2015. Our theme song was written by David Siegel and our show was engineered by Will Scoville. For as little as $1 a month, you can donate to the show through our Patreon page, patreon.com slash If you want to help us in other ways, please share the show. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Find Paco and George's comedy gigs on the About Us page on the site. Subdock is by doc fans for doc fans. So if you want to advertise with Supdoc, got a film or opinions, hit us up. We'd love to hear from you and what you're docking out on. Email us at subdocpodcast at gmail.com.